Digital Marketing Radio, episode 141B. A bonus episode. Art Jones interviews me on my digital marketing journey. DigitalMarketingRadio.com Hi folks, David Bain here and welcome to a bonus episode of the Digital Marketing Radio podcast. Just after I interviewed Art Jones for episode 141 of DMR, he also interviewed me for his own show. And it struck me that on that show... I talked a lot about my own background in digital marketing and my own views on online marketing success and on podcasting too. And that's not a side of me that you hear very often here on DMR. So thanks to Art, I decided to release that interview as a bonus episode here. It's going to be a little bit different, but if you're a regular listener, it'll give you an opportunity to find out a little bit more about me, the man behind the digital marketing radio microphone. So let's start off right at the beginning with Art and his introduction to his own show. Hello and welcome. My name is Art Jones and I'm the principal consultant at The Art of Standing Out where we use brand strategy and storytelling to help you market and sell better. And I am pleased to be the host of The Art of Standing Out where we talk to standout personalities doing incredible work um, in different parts of the world to help us hopefully become smarter by gleaning from them some of their wisdom and knowledge. And today we have our guest, David Bain, who I think I've only met David in the blabosphere just a few months ago. But um, what I do know about David is that he launched his first business online in the year 2000 and has been training businesses on how to do the same since 2007. That alone gives him clout in my book. But moreover, He, in no special order, is a podcaster, a technologist, an entrepreneur, a founder, a mentor, and a coach, and probably other things, too, that we'll find out here as we we talk about this this gentleman that's joined us at 10 p.m. in London time. And thank you, David, for making time on a late evening um, in London. I've got some tea, so in keeping (laughs) with the English ways, uh, and and hopefully everybody else can grab a beverage and and, uh, and spend some time with us. I'm going to try and, yep, there you go. Now, is that, is a that glass vodka, of vodka or here? Or? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> neat, <laughs> neat Smirnoff vodka, sponsored by, no, no, it's not that. <laughs> no, just water. <laughs> that would be an awfully tall glass of vodka, I might say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm going to keep this, um, you know, to 40 minutes or so because I think, you know, sometimes I've been on blabs that go on and on and on, and there's value there. But I think in this instance, if we try to be succinct, then we'll get the best value in in the small bite-sized pieces. And and maybe if I can encourage David to come back, we can get more um, of the great value that he offers. But I'd like to start, David, if we can, with with just talking a bit about your journey. And it's in the context that, um, you know, there's an author, uh, Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote a book or it was a TED Talk perhaps that I heard, where she says that some people are, focus from birth and they know exactly who they're going to be and they follow that course and they become who they thought they were going to be at birth. That's kind of like being a jackhammer. You just stick with it and you go for it. And, but she suggested many people are like hummingbirds or bumblebees, right? They go from flower to flower, picking up the nectar, discovering new things. And, and they take from that tapestry, the things that serve them best. And then they choose to become what they discover along the way. So, you know, let's take a few minutes and talk about: Are you a jackhammer or a uh, or or a bumblebee? 
has your journey been straight as an arrow or has it been kind of point the A, B, C, D, and then picking from the best of that to becoming who you are? I like the uh, analogies there. Um, and well, first of all, Art, thank you so much for inviting me on. It's great to be on here with you. Well, thank you for coming. But uh, Jackhammer or Hummingbird, to be honest with you, I think that um, I might have been both, depending on the phase of my life you're actually focusing in on. Okay. Um, I, I think that um, once you find your thing, then you're a bit more focused and perhaps that's all the thing that you need to f be focusing on at that moment in time. But um, there's nothing wrong, certainly when you're younger, with um, taking time to find your thing and indeed getting experience in as many different areas as possible because that generally tends to actually lead to better life experience and probably better decision-making and, and thinking in the ultimate place that you end up being if there ever is such a place. That's a great answer. Uh, talk a little bit about experiences and, and go back as far as you want. Well, and, um, sure. and, and I was going to ask if, if you are just getting all your downloads directly from wherever they come from into you, or are there mentors and coaches and, and teachers and parents and uncles and friends that have, have helped you become who you are or guided you along the way that in a material way to, to you becoming who you are? I, I think um, everyone I encounter has had some sort of um, influence. Uh, and um, obviously, the people that you, you trust more, that you feel that um, have more to teach you or have more life experience, then hopefully you pay a little bit more attention to them. But in yeah. terms of sticking to advice of one person. I haven't really done that. I've probably tried to learn from as many different people as possible. So um, what I would um, I, I would say in general is yes, uh, I think it's probably actually a good idea to be a little bit more focused in terms of um, who you take advice from. I think um, I will be more likely to take consultancy services, take um, uh, some sort of um, mastermind um, approach to things in the future um, with a more closely selected group but generally in the past um, I've been taking advice from as many places as I, as I can get it. Okay so there's not a particular coach or mentor that's that's in the past that that has guided you um, to where you are. You've taken a, a lot of inputs from a lot of different places but no one person stands out for you. I, th I think it would depend on um, what particular thing that, that, that we were talking about. But, 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 but again, even if I talk about something as, simp as, as definitive as podcasting, I've taken uh, certain skill sets from different people and haven't relied on just one coach for learning everything I know about that because I've perhaps disagreed with certain people in terms of how certain things are done, what microphones to use, how, how to actually go about recording things and perhaps how to incorporate video as part of it as well. So I, I think that sometimes to develop to your optimum level, you've got to know where to draw the line in terms of taking advice from a particular individual. And that's a really, really tough thing to do, to know what advice is good advice and to take it on board and which advice actually you should say no to or perhaps it's not quite right for you perhaps it's good advice for someone else but maybe not quite right for you 
that's that really is a, a brilliant answer and i think that that's a, that's wise advice for for all of us because when we're when we find a, someone we think is our coach you know what questions do you ask to to filter whether that coach is right for you or that mentor is right for you or that confidant is right for you because you know, there's an old Swedish saying that I've been reciting lately that says that you have to be careful where you put your ladder up on what wall, because as you go up that ladder and you get to the top, if you're on the wrong, you end up in the wrong place. You've got to come all the way back down and find another wall. Yeah. And, and if you're going to get a guide or a coach or a mentor that's going to lead you to put your ladder on the wrong wall, it can be costly because the only thing we can control is our time and we don't get it back. Mm. So that's that's really cool. I appreciate your 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 tolerating some of those personal questions. Let's talk about the founding of the business um, in in the year two thousand, and um, which business was that? You've you've got several that you've launched over the years. Yes, that that, that particular business isn't around any longer. Um, I'll tell you what I was doing in the year two thousand. I was actually a pub restaurant manager in the year two thousand, uh-huh. and um, my original degree was in hospitality management. So I've got a, a BA in hospitality management. So I got together with a f- couple of friends of mine that had done that course and we thought, well, it's the dot-com bubble kind of time. Everyone's talking about the internet and we thought, well, we can do something here. And we ended up um, launching uh, an online restaurant booking service and um, that was our first business. And we did we did very well in lots of ways and Probably the way that um, was most challenging was the fact that um, we structured the business a third share ownership each, and there was no one outright decision maker within the business, and that was possibly the most challenging aspect of trying to run it. That's I I, I have exposure to that when I was living in Manhattan. I used Open Table, which is one of those services, and use the same service in LA that you know if you wanted to get into a restaurant, you to go to the app. And you could reserve your table for, you know, 6 p.m. Yeah, they, they used to be about then. In fact, they used to be called Top Table. I'm not sure if that was the same brand in the in the States back then, or maybe they bought the brand Top Table in the UK. Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Open Table was the one that I that I used in New York that was that was the one that could get you into the five-star restaurants. Um, and, but you might have to get in at 4 p.m. or 10 p.m. when nobody else, you know, <laughs> the prime time in Manhattan is 6 to and 7 p.m. Is, is, is the dinner hour in New York. So was there fear of founding did, did, or did you just boldly stride into business ownership? I think um, there was more fear of stagnating in what I was actually doing. Ah. I, I, I'd already been exposed to Tony Robbins at the time. And, um, you know, he was very much, you know, you do things for two reasons. You know, it's either for a positive reason or a fear of actually getting out of a situation. <laughs> and, you know, managing a pub restaurant and hotel that I was also in at the time was fantastic um, experience as management when you were young. You know, I mean, when I was 23, I was managing a team of of 30 plus people and there aren't too many professions that you get the opportunity to do that. So it was a wonderful experience doing that, but I didn't see myself doing that 25 years down the line. And that probably meant um, that I decided to actually try and experience as many different areas of business as possible. So one of that was starting my own um, business with, uh, with with these friends at the time. And um, after that, when 
we couldn't really agree on the business direction and the, the, the business ended up closing essentially. Um, after that, I didn't want to take the simple line and maybe go back into hospita- hospitality. I wanted to broaden my abilities and I didn't necessarily have a final destination in mind. But what I did know is that um, the most important thing for me to do was to try and up my skill set and become better at the things that either I hadn't done before or perhaps were weaknesses at that time. I'm, I'm always interested in where we are today in 2016. So many people in the business of SEO and new media marketing and, and podcasting come from such a varied uh, background, uh, array of backgrounds. But as I think about hospitality management, I think about the fact that it's all about the customer and, and providing an experience and doing it for a profit right? yeah. and, and absent providing, you know, four star service or five star service, you don't have customers. And I think it's probably, well, here's the question. Would you say that things you learned in hospitality management serve you today in the work that you've done uh, with SEO and or with podcasting? Yes, definitely. There are so many intangibles that you might take from situations. I mean, working in in pubs, you might encounter situations which um, could potentially be a bit aggressive and Mm. you had an ability to step back and analyze things from a distance and be very impassionate about things. And that's a skill that's great in really any form of business at all. For a couple of years, actually, after that, after the uh, early business didn't work out, I actually ended up um, working in recruitment for a while. And and that's certainly a great skill for podcasting because working in recruitment, I interviewed probably hundreds of people as well. So th- th- that was a great skill to have. Interesting. So let's segue now from from the backstory to to you, the technologist, you know, from hospitality to pub management to SEO. You know, if those were were flowers, the SEO would be the one that was the the flower of a very different color. Um, You know, how did you transition from hospitality to pub to to the data driven analytics, you know, fraught world of, of SEO? Well, in the year 2000, I obviously got the taste of um, doing business online. And to me, it was a completely new world. I probably hadn't been online that much before that. I mean, it was maybe in the late 90s at some point that I got my first yeah, proper computer, really, and um, was, was browsing the web um, because I was at uni in the, the early 90s. And that, that kind of just just missed probably um, getting the experience of actually um, the web as certainly it was in the late 90s. So what I did was, because I got the taste of it, because I really was very excited by it, I decided to essentially train myself on how to do things like build a website and actually get traffic to a website, then figure out how to actually drive income from that. And what I ended up doing was um, building a, a random website about home improvement. I, I had a flat at the time that um, I was doing up a little bit, so that was probably something to do with it. And that website, I figured out how to design and and, and get online. And then at the same time, Google AdWords and Google AdSense were launching. And this was a bit of code that you could paste on your website and would, would automatically display different adverts on your website and you get paid per click um, of um, visitors that happen to actually click on those ads. And because 
uh, I, I just happened to hit it at the right time. I was getting over a thousand visits per day to this website. Nice. And that by itself, um, through mostly Google AdSense, was enough to actually give me an income of a few thousand dollars a month just just from SEO. <laughs> it's like bingo. It, it, <laughs> I think it was scary. It was um, it was bingo, but it was scary also as well because I kind of thought, well, this luck surely isn't going to continue. Uh, probably the right yeah. thing to do isn't just to keep on doing the same thing because I kind of knew in my heart that um, Google would want to update its algorithm and all this free traffic probably wouldn't last forever. And um, that may or may not have been the right thing to do. I'm sure I could have made a lot more money by building different websites and, and, and doing the same kind of thing. But I didn't do that. I kept, I kept on wanting to improve my business skills. Um, at that time, I was doing a part-time MBA. So I, I did that, completed that. But, so I, and, I, and I went to different networking events in the local area at the time, which was in um, Edinburgh and Scotland. And uh, these people, these, these other people that are attending the events um, were always saying to me, well, what do you do? And well, I kind of make a, minute, a living online, just um, do my own website. Well, how do you do that? Well, what's this? Well, <laughs> so uh, just by doing that, I ended up um, getting a couple of clients who I provided SEO services to and I uh, increased their rankings for certain keyword phrases. It was very easy to do that at the time, but um, of course it was perceived as being a bit of a dark art. And that, that, was, that was okay, but um, I didn't absolutely love doing that. I didn't just uh, love providing SEO services for people. And also at the time there were lots of adverts out there saying things like, well, $99, um, I'll give you 100,000 links to your website. And then I had people saying to me, well, why shouldn't I uh, pay $99 for this many links when you're building maybe 20 links a month for maybe a thousand pounds or something like that and Ooh. I was having to justify um, look it's obviously irrelevant traffic um, they're not going to convert and and that's possibly possibly going to impact your rankings in the future if Google doesn't like that in the future but I didn't like having to justify that so what I thought was well people in organizations are going to have to become more savvy, more more clever at exactly what SEO is, what digital marketing is. And then once they know a bit about how it works, then they can make the decision themselves whether or not they want to do it themselves or outsource it to someone like me or an agency. But um, what they can't do as a business is just not understand what's going on and, and pay money to people that are doing bad things for their website potentially. So that's why in 2007, I ended up um, de developing courses. And um, my first course, The 13 Pillars of Internet Marketing, uh, I did in April 2007. And um, yeah, um, that, that's how I got into to training. Fantastic. Um, <clears throat> you saw a need. Well, you made some money and, and you saw a need. And, and it sounds like you saw that people didn't know what they didn't. People didn't know what they needed to know to really optimize or maximize the value that you could bring. And so you started training them on how to get the value out of, out of this new media um, and all of the technology surrounding it. The 13 Pillars of Internet Marketing, the first training product, no doubt was successful. How, how, when, did it, when did you realize that you needed to update it? The 16 um, pillars or the 10 pillars? In, <laughs> well, <laughs> I th the funny thing was um, um, the way I 
decided that it was 13 pillars was um, I thought the pillars of internet marketing were a good thing to call it. So um, I went on whatever the name, the domain name registrar it was that I used at the time and I typed in 12 pillars. No, that's gone. 12 pillars.com isn't available. Okay, 13 pillars.com is available. Let's, <laughs> let's, put, let's put 13 <laughs> things together. So that, that was honestly how it was done. Interesting. So, um, so you no doubt were keeping your eye on the, the training requirements in the marketplace. What was the next training uh, regimen that you made available? Well, um, the only uh, constructive a uh, piece of negative feedback that I received actually was, you know, wow, that's so much information you've just shared in that in that seminar. But um, what do I do now? You know, what's the plan? And so I thought, aha, okay, maybe I need to actually revisit this. So the 13 pillars of internet marketing became the 26-week digital marketing plan. In fact, came became the 26-week internet marketing plan. That was the first name for that as well. And um, so I rewrote that into a different seminar, which was actually a, a full day session that I did. And I did that um, quite a few places across the UK and Ireland and ended up recording one seminar I did um, as a set of DVDs and, and sold that as an online product as well. So, so, so that did um, fairly well in like late 2007, early 2008. Um, my main focus um, then was was delivering training um, on effective internet marketing for uh, f- for enterprises. It ended up being mostly that attended those those sessions. There were lots of big banks and uh, universities were mainly the the attendees for those kind of events. So what was the, the modality? Were you, uh, you know, uh, online portal? Were you PDFs? What were they what were they buying when they were getting the what were they getting when they got the 26 week digital marketing plan? Well, initially, it was just a, a day seminar face to face. And I, I backed that up with a, a folder of physical materials, which was essentially screenshots of the slides and areas for them to write in as well. Uh, so, so that was really the first incarnation of it, but um, but then uh, once I recorded the session from about November two thousand and seven, on on, on uh, I I released it as a set of four DVDs. Uh, plus, at the same time, I'd interviewed um, seven or eight top uh, online marketing gurus. So I, I packaged that up on a CD of of MP3s as a bonus product, and then I I printed four different manuals to support um, the, the four main phases, as I called that. So there were four, maybe 100-page manuals that accompanied the DVDs and the, the, the bonus CDs. So it was a fairly hefty package. 400 pages, four DVDs, and a full-day seminar. Um, well, w- well, people could buy this package online. So I was doing the seminars, and um, they, they, could, they could buy either or or both. And um, also at that time, I was I, I, I was doing a two-day event as well, and that, that, that went fairly well as well. Um, but um, I wanted to create that product that people could purchase and, and try and create an additional, you know, a bit more of an automated income stream. Because doing the seminars, you could make thousands of pounds in one day, but of course, it's not just about one day it's it's about the work it's the peaks and valleys of <laughs> from seminar to seminar whereas for the the dvds and the the 400 pages of, of documentation they could buy it at 3 a.m yeah yeah and, once it's done so it was it was yeah. fun uh, you know <laughs> at the time i was um i had obviously another company 
that um, did the, the CDs and the printing and things like that. But um, um, a, a few things were done by different companies. Then they were sent to me, and then I put them together in boxes. So I I was sending boxes off to the, the States and Australia and <laughs> a few other places as well. So <laughs> that, that sounds like a nice fun. problem to have. Every box was worth X number of dollars, so you probably had a smile on your face even though... Yeah, you had to do the work. Yes, it was good. It was good. It was good. Um, it it probably I, I probably could have done more in terms of revenue if I'd been able to maybe offer an online version of it, perhaps for a bit cheaper. Um, because at the time, it was just at the crossover between selling DVDs as physical products because computers and internet connections weren't good enough to actually be able to take online video and deliver a good enough experience to people um prop, you know with by 2009 it, it was it was completely fine for that but you know 2007 it was still a bit of an issue with um what type of video do you deliver um flash videos weren't a good experience you, you had those uh, round buttons spinning in the center of videos all the time um, when whatever server wasn't working or their internet connection was poor as well. So um, I kind of had to deliver it as a, a physical product, yeah. So, um, and that's fascinating. When did you when did you discover podcasting uh, or, or Google Plus or whatever modality you were using? Which came first and, and what was it about that that medium that drew you to it? I mean, I discovered podcasting quite a long time ago. I actually recorded my first podcast about ten years ago. So um, I was I was doing podcasts b- before I did my first online training session. So I was starting that. Um, I, I had a website that I built actually using a service called Rent a Coder, which um, I'm not sure if it even still exists now. That that's essentially the old version of um, Upwork um, slash Odesk um, that, that that people use now, but. But back then, that was the probably the go-to website that you used to actually find um, external coders. So I used that to have this website that I built, uh, which was um, a website that other people could submit articles on on business. So it was, it was business advice articles. And I actually reviewed those articles in an audio recording and published that as a podcast in, in 2006. Wow. So, you know, I've, <clears throat> I've had the benefit of of being on your your uh, your radio, um, the marketing radio, <clears throat> digital marketing radio channel, and um, what I really uh, admired about your process was the very thorough way that you uh, advise the guest about audio and video and lighting and the intention of the 30, 45 minute interview. When did you incorporate that into what you do as a podcaster? Um, the formality um, and the the codification of what a successful forty five minute interview uh, requires, and discover you needed to share that with with the the people who were coming onto your show. Well, I mean, after about two thousand seven or so, I, I didn't really do many podcasts. I, I I recorded some interviews with people. I maybe published the interviews as um, an audio player on my website, but. I always thought I like podcasting, but I'm not sure if it's going to be important enough to invest all my time into. But um, by you know 2013, 14, it was becoming obvious that podcasting was going a little bit more mainstream again because of smartphones. So um, at that time, I collated all the knowledge that I could together on best practice because 
if I was going to launch another podcast, then I wanted it to be the best possible quality, uh, sure. audio and and how I did everything. And that's something that um, I I started straight away as soon as I started Digital Marketing Radio, and that was 2014. That's fantastic. And and I can tell you that, you know, it's, you know, I firmly believe, I think John Jantz of D- Duct Tape Marketing says that if you don't productize it, you can't sell it. And I think when, um, although we had talked about the interview, when I received your 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 package through the email, um, it raised the stock of digital marketing radio, which I already held in high esteem, um, exponentially because of uh, maybe because I'm a process oriented person, but I think I think the market in general responds well to um, orderly, and and I think that's uh, evidence of an orderly process that you were going to go get involved in um, because of the way you in initially engage and embrace the person coming on board to this to the radio station. So Social Sales Link has a question. David, what do you think about LinkedIn and the digital marketing plan? Of course, Bryn, what I think that you would ask any other question. <laughs> Bryn is a LinkedIn, a, a social selling via LinkedIn um, practitioner. So I, I think um, it, it it does a lot depending on obviously the type of business you're in. Obviously, if you're, uh, I think the easy answer is to say if you if you're in a B two B business, then it's more likely that it's it's you're going to have the eyeballs that are probably more relevant at the right time. I think um, it's a fantastic network building facility. I mean, I've got something like five thousand contacts on on LinkedIn, and yeah, I don't get any spam at all, and I get loads of people reaching out to me, and um, it's it's a great way to touch base with people, and you're you're probably actually forming that initial relationship with people without something initially in mind. It's um a lot. Some people sometimes add me on LinkedIn, and then immediately, if if I accept the invitation, will do something like um. Well, thanks for adding me. This is what I do, um, and make a big list of things in terms of what they do, and that's just um, just broadcasting. And I don't like that use of LinkedIn. Yeah. The, the, the 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 use of LinkedIn I like is simply with the long term view in mind. So you're yeah. you're building a relationship, and the the first touch, you know, reaching out to someone needs to be offering them something I think rather than actually trying to get something out of someone else yeah it's how would you compare LinkedIn to so your coach or mentor and someone says look I'm thinking of doing social selling on LinkedIn to find prospects or I'm thinking of you're really diving deeper into this podcast mode what do you recommend you know would you say do both would you say no stick with linkedin would you say no i think podcasting in my experience when you do it this way will provide you with this kind of result i mean generally they're different things uh linkedin if you're going to be more involved with that and you want to fully embrace it then you're probably going to be publishing more content there um direct articles in there or interacting in the groups there a little bit more so it probably depends on your preferred style of communication um, if you're going to be podcasting more, yeah, perhaps you can drive a bit of traffic from LinkedIn, but it's probably not going to be the most effective network for driving traffic. And um, there are probably more effective ways to do that when you're podcasting. Uh, I know a, a great SEO in London called uh, Lucas Zelesny. He's um, head of uh, 
or organic acquisition at um, a, a big comparison website called Uswitch. And he is a massive fan of LinkedIn and he doesn't have a blog himself. And what he does is he publishes blog articles directly in LinkedIn. And um, yeah. he, he thinks that is a much more effective way to actually keep that um, communication going. You keep conversations going. So if, if, if your market's B2B and you're a writer, maybe, yeah, maybe you should be writing on LinkedIn. Obviously, the thing that concerns me slightly is to a certain degree you're building your reputation and your audience somewhere that where you don't own um everything and you know ideally you at least want to be doing something to build an email list yourself but i don't doubt that people can be and are very successful interacting on linkedin by publishing content there Let's, let's talk about best practices as, as it relates to podcasting, which is um, digital marketing radio has become so uh, vibrant and successful. How do you, you know, what advice do you give to podcasters that want to be better podcasters? Um, one on the, the, the mechanics and two on the process of, of engaging an audience and nurturing that audience and, and building the audience. What, what advice do you have? Initial advice is to maybe focus on just a pre-recorded audio version of your show to begin with. Uh, I do a lot of live broadcasting while I'm recording the audio and possibly even periscoping at the same time. And that's probably a stage that you can get to, but I wouldn't start off like that. You don't have to spend an awful lot of money, but I would get a decent a decent basic microphone by that um I'll get one just in front of me here, which is the Samsung Q2U. Um, if you happen to be in Europe, um, if you're in the States, um, get the ATR2100 or 2005, which is the black version that probably actually looks slightly better than the 2100. And these mm-hmm. microphones um, cost about $50 each. So it's not a massive layout at all. Um, if I put the connection up to the camera there, um, you can see there's um, a, yeah. a, a USB, a USB and an XLR connection. So what you do is you start off by using the USB connection directly to your computer. And then when you move on to having something like a mixer or other audio equipment in the, in the future, this, the microphone doesn't become redundant. You can still use it uh, maybe for a, an additional guest if you choose to get another microphone as, as I've got as well. Um, this type of microphone is a dynamic microphone, which means that um, it's got a bubble in front of it, which is the optimum place to actually talk in. And that means that it's very good at actually not picking up other sound from around the room. So if you've got a, a humming computer or maybe you know a washing machine going on in the next room, it's an ideal microphone. It's still great, great quality microphone. Um, the, the the microphone I'm talking into at the moment is actually an Electro Voice RE20, which is a bit more expensive. It's about four hundred dollars or something like that, but it's it's still a dynamic microphone. So I think I think that's the best type of microphone. But but don't start off with this expensive one. Just um, get the fifty dollar one. Use it correctly. And use Skype. Use call recorder. Something you know fairly basic like that. A bit of software connected to Skype record the call like that and just get something up there don't be too concerned about the subject matter that you're discussing or the actual strategy for lots of shows into the future uh, because you can ag- agonize over that but the wonderful thing about iTunes is through your RSS feed that you submit to iTunes to actually get iTunes um to take your podcast 
you can actually change the name of your podcast, the angle that you're taking at any point in the future. Um, the key is to get started because whatever you do, it's going to be rubbish compared with episode 100. You know, wh whatever I do now, it's not going to be good compared with episode 1000. But you just keep on doing and improving incrementally. <laughs> improving incrementally. Just just start. Yes. Don't wait for perfection. Um, just begin and, and, and strive toward perfection is probably great advice. How about <clears throat> when you think of content, um, content, do you just produce content and focus on producing quality content and produce it and let the audience find that content? Or do you produce content with the intent and reaching a defined audience that you've already thought about that's your, your ideal prospect? It, it depends on the type of content where you're publishing it as well. I mean, for example, uh, I, I published a video on YouTube, uh, which was a seminar that I did um, two or three years ago or so. Um, this is called The Four Phases of Digital Marketing. If you search for digital marketing on YouTube, it's still about number four um, on YouTube, and it's had over 100,000 views. Now, that was a high-quality seminar that I did that was professionally recorded, um, decent sound. Um, so I wanted to, to make an impact with that. So I had a strategy in place. As soon as that was published, I paid a bit of money um, to have it seeded through pay-per-click advertising I used to stumble upon actually to do that and also told my existing email list look just publish this video completely free do us a favor if you like it you know like it um, share it with some friends add some yeah. comments because that initial period of about 48 hours once you publish a video on YouTube in my opinion in YouTube's algorithm is very very important and if YouTube see a lot of traction going on naturally, then they're probably more likely to test ranking it fairly highly for phrases that happen to be in the title and description of that video. So you know, if you get that initial hit of maybe a thousand views over the first couple of days, then it's possible if you've optimized it for the right keywords and your video is high quality to keep on getting 100, 200 views every single day for that um, that kind of video. So. Yeah, for, for, for something like YouTube, then you need to have that kind of plan in place. Um, for a podcast, if you're interviewing someone one-on-one, -on -one, hopefully if you're publishing it, then the person that you've interviewed likes it enough for them to share it as well. So that's an inbuilt um, strategy that you've got there as well. And um, if it's a one-off event, um, like... Um, you and I were um, involved in uh, over the Christmas period and um, the Digital Marketing Radio Christmas special. That was fantastic. Yeah, talk about that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that was so. That was fifty-four digital um, marketing experts on Blab. Um, you, you you weren't on the original list, I'm afraid, Art. But so you are a wonderful uh, <laughs> I in guest, and, and you let me take a seat. I was I was flattered. No, absolutely. Um, I was um, trying to. There, there was a couple of people that I that that I let in, and um, you know, thankfully they were they were wonderful. I tried to check people's profiles um, that I weren't aware of beforehand, just to be. <laughs> fairly confident that they were going to add uh, significant value and you, you certainly did that but um, if you have that number of people on there then you, you're going to get a significant percentage of them that um, start sharing it and, um, and getting excited by but by being involved with something like that so I've, I've got plans for uh, December of this year already to do something even bigger and, uh, and that, that should be quite interesting. Well it, it's <clears throat> excuse me it sounds like the takeaway for me anyway is that um, when it comes to YouTube or, or podcasts for that matter, 
you know, I think a lot of us are savvy enough to think about the plan, to plan for some great content, find a great guest, have a great event, uh, audio or visual. And, and then it's kind of like the bell-shaped curve. That's the where the excitement happens. That's the peak of the curve. But then when it comes to repurposing it, right, we, we might add some commentary and then put it up at YouTube or put it on our website. You've added another element I think that's important that thinking like YouTube is what you said and knowing that YouTube in the next 40, from the time you posted for 48 hours, YouTube is perhaps looking at it saying, hmm, is this viable content? Should, should we move this along a little faster? Should we make this more accessible to the masses that are looking for something on that keyword? And if you have 48 hours, then you, you actually have more work to do. You have a, a bigger block of time to consider in terms of planning, execution, and then the post work in yeah. terms of, are you going to nurture that by paying per click? Are you going to nurture that by encouraging your mail list to help you promote it so you get visibility in the eyes of the search engine YouTube? And I think that that's very, very wise advice and certainly the kind of advice that can serve us all as, uh, as people striving to become podcasters or, or hoping to be uh, more aggressively using a platform like YouTube. And, and that wasn't something that I learned off someone else. That That's something that I thought by instinct was probably the right thing to do. Because at the time, and probably still even now, the majority of advice that you get from YouTube is create a short video. People don't have long attention spans. Your video's got to be three to five minutes or so. Then optimize each video <laughs> like that. My way of thinking is, look, if you're standing out from everyone else, if it's um, high, high quality content and you can keep people captivated, then it's something different. And, you know, that gives you the, the added edge over everyone else that's um, just doing the least possible to actually create videos. Well, <clears throat> it's, you know, do more to accomplish more. Mm. And, and I think the other thing that might be an important takeaway when you keep your eye on the ball and you know what your goal is and, and then you always have your, and you're always listening and learning about the content you're producing and you're looking at your analytics and you're looking at the metrics. Cause you said you, you didn't read an article that taught you how to use that 48 hours after posting it to YouTube, mm -hmm. you learned by watching and listening and executing based on what your experience was. Yeah. Um, what performed well, let me do more of that. So if you're not paying attention to your own content and how it's performing and doing more of what works, um, shame on you because we can all, um, but it takes commitment to accept the responsibility to do that work, which, um, you know, you can't be having a, a beer on laying on the sofa watching the ball game when maybe you should be spending 45 minutes taking a, a look at the last few uh pieces of content that you produced and, and what's happening with it and, and why. So look, we're, we're at 47 minutes in, in terms of um, efficiency. That's what I committed to. And, and I, I want to hold myself to that. I don't want to use up too much of your valuable time, but I thought we, we'd go and ask a couple of questions and we'll do it fairly quickly that um, we can learn more about you and maybe learn more uh, tips that you might share. So the first question as we wrap up, if you had only one word to describe yourself, what would it be? The the word that jumped out was meticulous, just but sometimes a little bit too fastidious and <laughs> in, in, in what I want to do. Okay, that's a good word. Uh, that's a good word. 
Do you have a guilty pleasure, one that you can tell us about? <sighs> Trying to sound like Elvis and playing the guitar. How about that? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> In London, singing like Elvis, I, I might have to travel across the water to see that myself. <laughs> or, or you should come on when Blab's Got Talent or one of those shows and, and, and show us your Elvis uh, guitar picking skills. You never know. What's the biggest risk you've ever taken? Probably quitting jobs um, with no definitive income. It's, it's always challenging to actually jump and um, not know entirely um, where you're going to go in terms of a landing place. That's, um, I get that completely. I think there's, that's a, that's a good one. What's your biggest life dream? Oh, my wife's French and um, I think it would be lovely to retire reasonably early on the, the south coast of uh, France somewhere. That would be Oh my pleasant. gosh. That's nice. That's uh, the Provence. Is that what that is? Um, Provence. Uh, oh, uh, yeah. yeah or, uh, the <laughs> other, other areas around there. They're, they're all lovely they're all areas. Beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're all very beautiful. Yeah. Um, if you could ask just one person, alive or dead, for advice, who would that be and why? I'm trying to think of um, whether or not to go for the a flippant, silly answer and say something like Elvis, or <laughs> or, or or think of someone you know who um, I probably really would um, learn an awful lot from. You know, there are it's great, great thinkers. Elvis is not a bad one though. He could show you how to get that rubbery leg thing that he used to do. Okay, we'll, we'll just go for that. I'm afraid no one else is uh, jumping out. I mean, yeah. uh, someone's saying Elon Musk in the chat. You know, that's a yeah. that, that's a that's a great suggestion. Something that's like that's that. a good one. He, yeah. He's the modern day uh, Tesla. Branson. Yeah, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, name two books you can recommend that you're reading or will plan to read. Lean Startup was um, a book that I read fairly recently. That's um, that's a, a, a decent book. The book that I probably read the most in terms of business stroke self-help books was a, a book called The Magic of Thinking Big by David Swartz. And um, I'll probably throw another one in just as a bonus, and that's The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. Share two pieces of advice for entrepreneurs and solopreneurs. Stop trying to juggle so much. Um, you know, you absolutely need to, in terms of producing content find the the medium that um, most appeals to you resonates most with you that you're best at that you love the most and do an outstanding job at mastering that so don't don't just do an okay job don't just do blog posts that are 500 words long and and publish once a week and wonder why no one's coming to your blog you really need to be thinking of if you're writing you know producing outstanding pieces and outreaching to people prior to publishing those pieces and including their opinion in there and then you've got that opportunity to tell them afterwards you know thank you so much you know your opinions included in there and that is um an opportunity built in there to get some shares straight away so master the style of content that uh, you most prefer that's it makes me think of the old acronym for kiss Mm. keep it simple and and don't don't try to don't try to multitask so much just just do be very good at something as opposed to becoming jack of all trades yeah absolutely uh, i mean the, the funny thing is when i got started and it, it was called really internet marketing then uh, internet marketing kind of means make money online now rather than actually a marketing method but um 
when I was doing that in maybe um, early two thousands, it was it was just perceived as as one thing. But now it's there's so many different facets to digital marketing now. You can't do everything, so just focus on one thing now. Yeah, that's fantastic. So uh, why don't you tell our audience uh, that's watching now, those that have stuck with us through this uh, this lab, and those that are watching on replay. Um, you know, any special offers you've got, any new products that you're you're launching, or simply how to get in touch with you. Well, sure. Um, you know, thanks so much again for for having me on, Art. But um, probably the best way to get hold of me is either uh, through the website digitalmarketingradio.com or my Twitter handle at David Bain. Uh, in terms of what I'm up to at the moment, um, I'm actually next month um, recording ten episodes for a new podcast that I'm going to be doing which is going to be on how to grow your online credibility. And that's targeted at coaches, consultants, and trainers. So it's really a podcast about how to podcast and live broadcast effectively for for those kind of people. So that's going to be launching within two months, certainly. Uh, why don't you put your link for, for that or for your, your digital marketing radio in the stream so people can, can find that now and, and find that later. And, and again, I, I want to thank you for your time. It's now 11 p.m. in uh, London. And so, you know, I know that that takes special commitment from you to join me and, and, and our audience at, at the late hour. Um, so thank you so much for that, for, for sharing your story from, from university to pub management and ownership. Uh, your, your, your hospitality uh, management expertise and all the aggregation of all of those experiences that, that brought you in the year 2000 to becoming a, a founder, a trainer, um, an entrepreneur. And I think in those, those life, that life journey and in those, uh, those lessons, you've been able to share some, some ideas for us to take away to help us uh, on our journey to become better uh, digital marketers, um, better content producers, and in the process, grow bigger and, and thriving businesses. So David, thank you very much for, for your time today. Thank you. So thanks for listening, and thanks to Art for being such a great interviewer. Just to the end of the discussion, I mentioned that I'm going to be launching a brand new podcast. I'm also going to be launching a brand new training program. Now, if you're a coach, a consultant, or some other expert, and you'd like to enhance your sector credibility, and you're thinking of starting your own podcast, I'd love to hear your feedback in terms of what you're looking for. So I've set up a survey at startyourownshow.com. I'd love to hear your views and what you're thinking of doing and what challenges are concerning you in relation to starting your own show. The survey at startyourownshow.com won't be available for long. So If it's up there when you go to the page, then I'd really appreciate five minutes of your time just to tell me your thoughts. Startyourownshow.com Coming up in episode 142 of Digital Marketing Radio is a great interview with a chap called John Butt on creating new customers on autopilot. So look out for that coming your way soon. Thanks for being a listener. I really appreciate it. Catch you again soon. Bye for now.